Hey, everybody, this is Corey Dion Lewis, founder of The Healthy Project and host of The Healthy Project podcast. Now, before you listen to this great interview, I'd like to talk to you about my new community health conference series, My City, My Health. Uh, The My City, My Health conference presented by The Healthy Project will educate the audience about what health and community advocates are doing to improve the health of the most vulnerable and underserved in our communities. There will be multiple panels discussing topics around culture and healthcare, mental health prevention, and how we're collaborating with community-based organizations to really make a difference in our community. If you want to learn more about this in-person and virtual experience, you can go to mycity.health. If you want to have this conference in your city, email me, Corey at thehealthyproject.co and we could talk more about how we could have a my city my health experience in your city talking to the health and community leaders in your city about what you can do to improve the health of the people in your city again thank you for supporting the healthy project it said she died because of acute respiratory failure. Listen to this. No doctor mentioned at any point during her illness that air pollution and traditional allergens were actually triggering, triggering her asthma attacks. Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review, or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a great guest in the building with me today, um, going over a topic that's super important, but within the public health uh, field, I don't think we talk about enough. Um, I have Marisol Iglesias Gonzalez. She's an environmental health researcher. Uh, Marisol, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Corey. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for our listeners today. It's lovely to be with you today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get into the topic, uh, how about you tell the people a little bit about yourself uh, and what gets you up in the morning? Thank you. Well, um, I consider myself an introverted environmental health enthusiast. Um, My background is actually in environmental health. Um, And I also have work experience as a medical humanitarian uh, aid worker and love the climate change and health topic. And thank you for inviting me here again, because this is one of the things that I wouldn't say wakes me up in the morning because I'm not a morning person, but (laughs) that, you know, fuels me every day, like this opportunity to speak about climate change and health, the opportunity that every day brings to innovate, to contribute with science, but also with action 
And, you know, there is a lot of pessimism around climate change and health. And what keeps me going is to be able to be a spokesperson that can also, you know, bring the evidences, but motivate people and, you know, to remain optimistic in words of Christiana Figueres, that would say a stubborn optimism, mm. you know, to remain hopeful despite the bad news. You know, I, I love that. And and like you said, there there is a lot of pessimism, like you said, around this topic. Um, and we'll definitely get more into that. Um, but I believe, and maybe I'm wrong, Marisol, but I just feel like, like I said before, not a whole lot of people are bringing up you know, climate change, things like that, when it comes to our, to our health, I don't feel like people kind of see that correlation. That's just my, my view, but um, what impact does climate change have on health? Yes, I totally hear you because uh, as a student, um, like 10 years ago, I was trying to figure out that connection. I was an environmental health student. We were starting to talk about climate change. Of course, by that time, it was all about polar bears. <laughs> Humans, we were like not at risk, right? Uh, according to us. And I found myself like trying to establish like these connections. And this is a great question. What are the pathways by which climate change actually ends up having an impact on us? How do we get to that? So in order to simplify a very complex explanation, I would say that we need to consider three aspects in this interface of climate and health. First is that climate change has direct effects. Second, that these direct effects can unleash indirect effects. And then that both these direct and indirect effects have an impact on health. So health outcomes arise from both in a context, of course, of this changing climate. So when we talk about direct effects of climate change, what are we exactly talking about? Well, we refer to that um, in terms of extreme weather events we are familiar with, like storms, droughts, floods, extreme heat, heat waves, even sea level rise. And each of these effects disturbs physical, biological, ecological systems, thus causing these indirect effects or cascading effects that have to do with that change. We're talking about alterations in, let's say, water quality, for instance, after a storm. Air pollution, which is linked to increases in temperature. Ecological change and land use change related to sea level rise, for instance. From these effects, both direct and indirect, impacts on human health happen. For instance, uh, we can see a greater number of people experiencing heart failure or renal failure during a heat wave, injuries and premature deaths after a hurricane, malnutrition and diarrheal diseases after a period of drought, mental health disorders and migration due to environmental degradation. Also changes, for instance, in the distribution patterns of vector-borne diseases like dengue because of changes in temperature and humidity. So there are a few examples. However, the pathways between climate change and health is not like saying one plus one is two. It's right. not linear because they do not affect 
everyone equally because climate change and health are interconnected in very complex way because we have to take into account that these are societies, these is people. So we're talking about social processes and dynamics in between. Right. So for one person, it being hotter sooner or hotter than usual, it just may be uncomfortable. But for someone else, that that heat wave or that that temperature change may be maybe a significant issue for them for their health. Absolutely. And not only biologically speaking, but also it is not the same to live in a house where you have, you know, enough income to have your own AC. And Mm. then you have this adaptive mechanism to keep your house cool or that you have, you know, the opportunity to shower three times a day if you want to. And so you have this uh, level of access to adaptive mechanisms, whereas another person with lower income that has housing conditions that make it more exposed to heat, then we are talking about these social disparities that doesn't make everyone vulnerable in the same way. These are different realities. Right. So, so in, in going along with that, talking, you know, about health disparities and you, you bring up a good, good point. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit more on how, you know, how does the environment affect these health disparities? And you kind of talked about it a little bit there, but not only for in America, but like globally, what, what, what do those health disparities look like and, and what's the impact the environment is having on that? I think a key aspect to understand this relationship is related with the concept of health. What is health? How do we define health? So in the words of the World Health Organization, health is a state of complete physical, mental, social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So by definition, health is not exclusively related with not being sick. It involves factors that transcend, let's say, our physical body, which is immersed in a social, ecological, cultural, and even working environment. The acknowledgement of health as as something that is beyond, let's say, our genetic lottery or beyond our level of, of access to a hospital is through the understanding of health as a social construction. And going back a bit on history, it is in 1974 where there is a proposal by Mark Lalonde, which by then was the health minister of Canada, and he proposed a change in the conventional way of looking at health and introduced something more radical. Lalonde had the thesis that health is built, and it's built on decisions we make in our lifestyle and on the social and environmental condition that surrounds us. And those are determinants that allow us to achieve, or not, our highest state of well-being. So these are the so-called social determinants of health. And these are all the circumstances in which people are born, grow, live, work, and age. And that entail multiple aspects like education, the environment, genetics, gender, occupational conditions, economic stability. So basically, the environment is there. It is considered as a determinant of health and a potential multiplier of pre-existing social disparities and the initiator of new ones. 
So let me give you an example. Ella Roberta Ado Kisi Debra, long name, worth pronouncing. Mm -hmm. This girl was killed by air pollution in, two, in 2013 in the UK. She is the first person in the world to have air pollution listed as a cause of death on her death certificate. Wow. In her or yeah, it's it's impressive, it's shocking. In her original death certificate, it said she died because of acute respiratory failure. Listen to this, no doctor mentioned at any point during her illness that air pollution and traditional allergens were actually triggering triggering her asthma attacks. Ella Roberta had over 30 emergency admissions in the hospital between her asthma diagnosis and her death. She used to be healthy. She loved swimming. She had this sweet bubbly personality, but the poor air quality of her neighborhood killed her at the young age of nine. Wow. So this is one case on how the environment just, you know, deleted the life that this girl had ahead. But there's so many other stories with a variety of realities. Let's say you're a, a migrant, a person of color, a single mother, a worker that works 16 hours a day to support the family with no la labor rights, living in, a poor, in poor housing conditions. And let's say on top of that, with a medical condition that requires this person to miss work and pay more in health expenses than this person can actually afford. So this only exacerbates inequalities. Now, out, add to that a flood in the house, a heat wave, increasing levels of air pollution. So in summary, and coming back to climate change, we must consider that even though we are all living the effects of climate change in one way or the other, It is the social dimension that actually makes the difference. Age, gender, health status, income, social capital, public health infrastructure, even the state of conflict of a country. These are social determinants that are distributed unequally throughout the world and really bring to light the social vulnerabilities of our population. So when it comes to climate change, These vulnerabilities begin to arise from these interactions of the climate events and the social factors. And what the science shows is that those most at risk are those living in less developed countries with specific vulnerable subpopulations, such as people living in poverty, marginalized groups, people with disabilities, older adults, women, and young children. These are the ones who bear the greater burden of risk in all regions and may experience, well, most of the health impacts I've mentioned, like malnutrition, respiratory diseases, mental health, among others. Right. And, and is that because they just don't have the resources to, to combat that? So is, is that kind of one of the main reasons? Is it affecting these underserved populations? Yes, I think it's a, a blend of your biological susceptibility, for instance, as a child or as an elderly. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, we have to add all these disparities and equalities um, that these populations sometimes are suffering, like marginalized groups and people living in poverty. We know that those who live in poverty have less opportunities 
general in life and they are vulnerable to basically everything. So if you come from an uh, underdeveloped country, most likely when there's an you know extreme weather event, you will not have the same coping and adaptive capacities um, compared to a high income country where people most likely have you know, a different reality where they have more opportunities to evacuate, to have a car, to be able to have money to put mon- to put fuel on it, a shelter to go to. So this really creates the difference. As an environmental health researcher, what can we do? You know, what are some things we can do to to make a change that will make a make a difference? Like, is it is, is there still some is there still some light at the end of the tunnel? You know, what what is this? What can we do as as a, the world to in to change what's going on? There is. Well, I think first of all is um, that we have to acknowledge that climate change is affecting everyone. It, this is a common right. house, and we just have to accept that sooner or later we will experience an experience an event. And that realization is confronting, but it really has to make us take action to adapt to it and also to mitigate fueling the the climate crisis. So I know that most of our audience are from the health sector. I would like to come back to the example of Ella Roberta because Mm -hmm. I think that that is a strong message. Um, and it really shocks me that no health professional flag the link between Ella's asthma and the exposure she had to air pollution. And that makes me think perhaps universities are preparing students to face a world that no longer exists, right? And that is a world where climate change is not present. Both the World Health Organization and the Climate Change and Health Commission from the Lancet Journal, which is one of the most prestigious in the world, have made it clear that climate change threatens to undermine the past 50 years of gains in public health, that it is the greatest global health threat of the 21st century, but here is the ray of light, but it could be the greatest global health opportunity of this century if we actually take action. So I would say that the very first step is to make the difference is to get educated more in depth on the health impacts of climate change. And those health professionals out there consider environmental exposures in your diagnosis. This could have saved the life of Ella Roberta, but possibly no one had the education there, the knowledge or the awareness, or maybe they did, but they thought it was just too obvious to be said. So getting education, considering, you know, making some environmental related questions in your history, taking tools, identify also which climate change effects, either direct and in, or indirect, happen in your community and, and be prepared to identify potential health impacts that community might experience. But don't stay in your own education. Also educate your patients. Health professionals have a very strong trusted voice and you guys have influence. So take time to do some environmental health promotion because again, 
Climate change is the greatest global threat of the century, and we need to start talking about this in our hospitals, in our practice, and in general, and we need to start addressing it as an opportunity. Health professionals, you know, can also be champions in their own hospitals. How? Well, by pushing for the development of, let's say, climate resilient health systems, but also can be champions in climate policies and advocacy, bringing the voice of your patients to decision makers. So I would, I would just say it, become political, not only voting for those who care about the environment, but also get involved for your patients, for the current and next generation. And I would say on that line, my last point, uh, what should be done is to honor the Hippocratic oath of doing no harm to the patients. Health systems, this is very, this is a paradox, but health systems have a big carbon footprint. So yeah, that I means you tell me that. Yeah, so they are also fueling the climate crisis. And in turn, we know from this podcast that people are getting sick because of that. So basically the no harm oath is broken. So, well, if you are in the United States, you might be aware that during the conference of the parties, the COP26 in Glasgow, the United States committed to decarbonizing the health sector, which in the US is about 8.5% of the total share of greenhouse gas emissions. The first milestone is to cut 50% of the emissions by 2030. So what can you do about that if you belong to the health sector? I would say that as a doctor, nurse, public health professional, you can use your powerful and trusted voice, get involved and make sure this happens. And if you're not in the USA and you're listening to this, and start talking about this and start pushing for decarbonizing the health system so the hypocritical oath is honored. No, that's great. You know, the more I think about it, Marisol, it just feels like you know, when we talk about chronic disease, uh, specifically hypertension or diabetes, it, we, we call it um, the silent killer. It's like you, you, you don't know it's affecting your body until you lose a limb or your, your eyesight. Um, is worsened or whatever the case may be. And I feel like for a lot of people in the healthcare sector, just out there in the world, it's, it's just, okay, it's just hotter now, or um, it got colder sooner, but no one's really, it's just like that silent killer. No one's really seeing the effect. Therefore it's like, we're, we're blind to it. But to your point, it sounds like the more we can speak up, the more we have podcasts about this, the subject um, in, in raising that awareness, we can really see some changes, um, especially within the healthcare sector around climate change. Brilliant. And I love the, the term of silent killer because I, I totally agree. And in the environment environmental justice jargon, there is a term that is commonly used, which is slow violence. So when we talk about um, pollution, it is kind of a silent killer as well. And you get ill or you might die after a chronic exposure, possibly to little 
doses of poison, let's say, or, 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 or of this pollutant. And then it is called like a slow violence because it's not abrupt, right? It's not, you know, out of the blue and strong. Well, we have some of those events, you know, like hurricanes of those. But when we talk about, as you mentioned, like sea level rise, glacier retreat, uh, increases in the temperature, it just feels like, yeah, there's a crisis in the very back of everything we're living now, uh, but we cannot really point our finger and, and you know, be able to name it. And a clear example of that is that this case of Ella Roberta was the very first uh, case mm -hmm. to actually put a name, the right name in this um, death certificate. So that's why we need to start talking about it more and more because we need to start bridging these two fields of environment and health. And we need to also start engaging more clinicians um, so that they can incorporate this vision of, yes, I know you understand the body, the human body and all the systems inside, but there is an external system out there, an economic system, social energy system, a natural system that it's also, you know, having pressure in our bodies and creating, you know, diseases as well. Right, right. So one, one quick question, and I know, you you know, we talked about how healthcare, the healthcare sector is creating a, is creating a lot of greenhouse gases, but what is it specifically within the healthcare system or the sector um, that we're doing that's creating all of this pollution? Are there, are there specific things? Are there, is there one thing that can um, kind of change that? Right. Um I would say that each health sector uh, would have to do its own carbon footprint to analyze. But what I have seen is that most of these uh, emissions come from procurement and supply chain. So I think this is the, the biggest um, um, source of greenhouse gas emission, everything that has to do with supply, procurement, logistics, of course, all the medication, the transportation, et cetera. So this is usually the part where health systems have to, you know, intervene for um, greener procurement practices. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Marisol, I want to thank you so much for your time um, and this valuable information. And hopefully we can continue this conversation even past the podcast and, and doing some great things for for anyone listening that wants to learn more about what you're doing um, and the research that you're doing and or learn more about you, where, where can they find you? Yes. So they can find me uh, on social media. So my Instagram address, it's a bit complicated, uh, but I can spell it out for you. So it's seven underscore W-A-S-S-E-R-F-A-E-L-L-E. -S -S -E -E -L -L -E. So that is a German word. So seven and then Wasserfalle or something like that. I don't pronounce it yeah. and, quite well. <laughs> and this, it'll be in the, yeah, that's no problem. And it'll be in the, the uh, description of the podcast as well. So they can just click on the Instagram link and, and get to you there too. Wonderful. And you can all, could also look up for me in LinkedIn as Marisol Iglesias Gonzalez as well. Awesome. Well, Marisol, again, thank you so much for your time. I truly, truly appreciated it. 
Uh, and everyone, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll holler at you next time.